Well, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast as uh, we look ahead to Saturday's matchup uh, between Purdue and Indiana State at ross Aid Stadium, 4 o'clock kickoff. This will be Purdue's first uh, FCS game under Jeff Brom and the first one since the start of the 2016 season against Eastern Kentucky. So Purdue had, had been on a, a run of not playing FCS programs, but uh, of all the ones to play, this is probably the best one because it's in-state. The The guaranteed money stays uh, in the state, and it helps an in-state program uh, financially. And this is the first of a, th- a three-game series that will happen uh, 24 and 26, uh, I believe, the uh, when Indiana State will return. going to talk today to Todd Golden of the Terre Haute uh, Tribune star. He's been the uh, sports editor and Sycamore beat writer since 2004. So he's very versed in what's happening at Indiana State uh, with their program. And and Todd, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for carving out some time. And uh, how you doing today? Time is uh, not a problem. I'm uh... Yes, uh, it was a game that you'd expect to win. It wasn't necessarily a guarantee game, uh, but it's one that you scheduled to, to win. And Indiana State struggled, uh, struggled to finish. Uh, you know, they offensively were uneven. The running game was okay. Uh, their passing game was inconsistent. They were only two of fifteen on third down, which. Uh, is a concern. A lot of short yardage opportunities went by the boards. Uh, their defense, however, was very good. They uh, switched to a four-three, a true four-three scheme this year, um, and they were able to get eight quarterback sacks in the game. Uh, North Alabama had to go with three quarterbacks. Ultimately, um, none of them due to injury. It was all um, due to effectiveness. So um, the defense looked good. The offense uh, looks like very much a work in progress. Uh, the game went overtime. Indiana State was pretty fortunate to win. Um, they had to settle for a field goal on their possession. They went first. North Alabama had the ball at the seven on first down, and they were in a pistol formation, and their center uh, launched it, <laughs> kind of uh, long snapper style, and the ball went all the way back to uh, the 33, took them out of field goal range, and ultimately Indiana State's defense held, and they won. So very bizarre finish. Um a lot to work on, I think, uh, especially on the offensive side. I think Purdue's going to be a big challenge, but um, but it was good to get a win. Uh, obviously, the thing that's um, the the main thing that's happened in, with this program in the last month is the car accident that happened southeast of Terre Haute uh, that claimed the lives of three people, two of them football players, and then two football players were injured in the accident. So 
Uh, a win under any circumstance was a blessing for that program who's been dealing with the grief of that. Uh, but purely from a football standpoint, um, you know, it, it, they're going to have to play a lot better to have a successful season. Yeah, I want to follow up on the kind of the emotions of uh, of the game, and um, one of those injured uh, players actually is a, a kid that went to Harrison High School here in Lafayette, O'Marion Dixon. Um, but you know, there's no playbook how to handle those situations. But just kind of what you observed, and you know what what has you know how, how have things come together with the program and the community, you know, after that uh, tragic accident. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think you're right. There's no playbook for it. I think what what they've looked at as their sort of salvation in this or their sort of coping mechanism is probably a better way to put it, is that they did have football on the horizon. So they really made a, a very conscious choice to get back at it. Uh, they were back practicing within two days after the after the accident occurred. They were back on the field on that Tuesday. The accident was on a Sunday. Um, and I think their focus, their laser focus on football, um, was a necessary distraction for them. And I think it remains so, um, you know, they did have a long week, obviously, but they, they played last Thursday as Purdue did. Um, but I think they've really kind of used that as a distraction against their grief. Um, I'm not, you know, they've really closed ranks. I've not attended a practice since since the accident occurred, part of it is because I have COVID this week, but, uh, you know, I feel like this is going to hit them more maybe when they have their bye week in a couple weeks where they have to, you know, they're, they're less in game mode and stuff like that. As far as how the community responded to, I mean, uh, you know, anytime something like this happens, it, it, it draws a lot of attention to, whatever entity that was involved in it, you know, tragedy tends to bring people together and the community of Terre Haute has been really good about being supportive of Indiana state. Um, I was kind of surprised the, the actual moment of silence at the game last Thursday was very brief. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of overt reference to the, to the accident itself. I think the real tragic part of this is tragic part of this is, is the, the two players who were killed, uh, Christian Eubanks and Caleb Van Hooser were true freshmen. Mm -hmm. So they were barely known. They weren't known at all to the community. I never interviewed them myself. And even on the team, I mean, other than the players within their room, uh, they weren't, you know, they hadn't had the chance to really be, uh, you know, well-known by their teammates. So in a way that's more tragic because they're figures who were, um, you know, you know, they never got a chance. I mean, they never saw the field. So, uh, so very bad situation. Um, Omarion, uh, of course, is still recovering, and I saw him play at Harrison. He, uh, I, I covered a game against Terre Haute South, and he absolutely ripped them apart. So, and he was of the players who were in that accident. He was the one who was most likely to see the field this year. So, uh, hopefully, he's uh, doing a little bit better. But yeah, just a it's the first time I've had a tragedy like this in my time on the beat. And, uh, uh, I think this is going to be an evolving situation. It's not just over because, um, because it's, you know, getting further back in the rear view mirror on the calendar. I think this is something that's going to be ever present throughout the season. 
Right. Very well said. Very well said. Back to football, you mentioned that uh, Indiana State switched to a 4-3 defense. Um, the reasons behind that, were they trying to get more aggressive, trying to get their best players in better position? Kind of walk us through you know, why, why they made the change. My read on it is that they wanted to simplify things a little bit. The, what, the defense they had been running was it was a 3-4, but what they did was is you know, it, it was court, sort of a hybrid where they had a stand-up pass rusher basically in 4-3 formation. So he would, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't in a down position. So, in effect, they'd always been running a 4-3 just with, you know, somebody who wasn't in a down lineman position. What this does for the linebackers is it is it, you know, makes the gaps a little bit more coherent in terms of what they attack. I know in talking to the linebackers before the season, uh, they said that they had, they were responsible for two gaps uh, in the old defense. Now they're just responsible for one. So, and I, the, the evidence of, of how that bears out was in that North Alabama game. In addition to the sacks, uh, they just, a lot, they had a lot of half tackles. I mean, a lot of gang tackling, uh, it seemed like their pursuit was uh, simpler than it was in the past. Uh, again, it was North Alabama, so you don't want to, you know, read too much into it. But uh, I think that was the rationale on it to make it simpler and then just to fit the personnel a little bit better. Uh, their best defensive player is uh, middle linebacker Jeffrey Brown, and I think this defensive system tailors to his talents a little bit better. Um I think that helped. They also basically had a new defensive line, uh, a lot of an experience on the on the D line, but they look good against North Alabama. So, I those are my takes on it. Um, you know, I I think it was just a matter of trying to simplify things. Um, another guy on the on their defense, uh, Ryland Cole. He was you know he got a uh, Player of the Week honor from the Missouri Valley Conference. He had a nice game. How does he fit into that defense and? Where will you help this defense as they as they get into conference play? Yeah, Ryland is just kind of an aggressive guy back at safety. He takes uh, he he doesn't take chances. He's he's very smart uh, in the way he attacks things. A lot of those plays came to him uh, last week. But they like their uh, defensive backs. None of them are you know immensely experienced. Uh, their corners uh, have been around, but they haven't played much. Uh, Ryland played towards the end of last year. He emerged uh, a little bit and then earned the job in the spring uh, at one of the safety spots. So um, they're not, you know, he's not a heavy hitter. Uh, Indiana State tends to not have safeties who take chances. Uh, They tend to be kind of disciplined. So you're most likely not going to see him go in for the home run hit, you know, where, you know, you could get burned on those. Uh, just a real disciplined player and very excited to be playing. I mean, they, their defense is characterized by a lot of guys who are getting their first chance. And whenever you have, the, you know, there's risks with that. They're going to get, you know, some lessons taught to them. But, um, you know, but they're also, the advantage of that, I guess, is that you have kind of a all-for-one, one-for-all type of mentality among the defense and sometimes that could be a good thing so Ryland is one of those guys and and he was pretty good last week offensively um you know they did struggle a little bit but was this a little bit of a rebuilding project or did you feel like they had enough they have enough experience on that offense to 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 put up some some points and yards this year yeah it's 
I'd say rebuilding is probably a decent way to put it. I the the offensive line needs to you know I didn't mention them they 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 certainly need to block better in short yardage. I mean Indiana State you know Kurt Mallory is a chip off the old block. I mean his dad Bill was um, you know like to run the ball and Kurt likes to run the ball so the offensive line needs to do their part in that. Um, their running backs are experienced. Um, you know, they, they have two uh, FBS transfers. T. Hodge mm-hmm. is the starter. He came from Tennessee. He didn't play at Tennessee, but uh, he'll do fine at the FCS level. Justin Dinka, who spelled him, uh, who's a little bit more of a, you know, an outside-the-tackle style of runner. T. would be the inside-the-tackles runner. Uh, Dinka came from San Diego State. He did play for Indiana State last year. Um, so, uh, you know, they have a sprinkling of experience here and there. The one thing I should mention is that they were missing their best receiver, Dante Hendricks, uh, sat out the game with a hamstring injury. I believe he should be back for Saturday's game, but I don't won't know that for certain until tomorrow. But um, And their quarterback situation is still very much... Um, uh, up in the air. Gavin Screws started at quarterback. He was a junior college transfer who began his career at Troy. Um, and he wasn't he wasn't overtly bad. It's just that the sticks didn't move as much and, uh, you know, he didn't have his number one target. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kind of murky questions to be answered about the offense that, you know, Purdue's defense is certainly going to, you know, give them a big test. But, um, yeah, I, I, they have they have some questions to answer. There's no doubt about it. When when you look at um, what Indiana State uh, will face once they get into conference play this year, how do they stack up with some of the other teams in the league? I know it's a very very difficult league and very top heavy. You know, where are they in the pecking order when it comes to the conference right now? This wasn't a great year for Indiana State to schedule up, and that's exactly what they did. I mean, they, within the context of FCS, um, you know, it's a rebuilding year for Indiana State, and they play, they literally play the top three teams in FCS. Montana comes to Terre Haute next week. They're number three. And then North Dakota State and South Dakota State are in their conference, and they're one and two. The, the, the Missouri Valley Football Conference is to FCS what S- the SEC is to FBS. I mean, mm-hmm. it is far and away the best conference in FCS. It's probably better quality-wise than some of the lower-end uh, next six conferences in FBS. Um, it is a huge challenge to compete in this conference. Um, North Dakota State and South Dakota State are on a level where you know, they would probably – you know, North Dakota State is pushing to get in the Mountain West. I'm not saying they would win it, but they would be competitive in it straight away. Um, you know, some of the investment in the programs in the in the Missouri Valley Football Conferences dwarfs what Indiana State does. Uh, because, you know, ISU is no different than the other schools in Indiana. Their, their priority is basketball. Football has always been, you know, a thing, but it's it's never been the number one priority. So, especially with the losing that Indiana State has had over the years. Um, so it's a massive challenge to compete in this conference in any year. Uh, this year in particular with, you know, question marks and youth all over the roster, it's going to be very difficult. You know, a, a guarantee game like playing at Purdue is 
what it is. I mean, it's there to exist as a as a paycheck, and and, and you know, it's better to play an in-state team, but um, but in a way, it does at least give you some benchmark of what you're going to have to do when you play the elite of the Missouri Valley Football Conference because it's it's uh, it's a bear. Is there is there any concerns in the FCS circles as conferences continue to expand and probably add more conference games to their schedule that FCS might get on the might get shut out of some of these paydays which they do need to help their overall athletic budget we you know this this issue seems to come up every time there's conference expansion and but kind of what's your take on uh from an FCS standpoint of how, how this may hurt that level of football. Yeah, I think there's big concern about it. There's no doubt about it. And the canary in the coal mine is why this series ended in the first place. You know, back in the early 2010s, when the Big Ten briefly uh, had the edict to not play FCS schools, um, Indiana State was one of those schools who was, you know, obviously the Eastern Missouri Valley football conference schools tend to play big 10 schools as their guarantee game. Uh, and there was a big panic, uh, in the, in the Valley at that point, because suddenly that easy 500 grand that, you know, Indiana state's making 500 grand off this game. Right. It's essentially a bus trip. So most of that gets pocketed. Whereas a $500,000 guarantee game at Tennessee or Kansas, uh, which are two of the ones they played, uh, when the scheduling was done, when the Big Ten had had wiped out FCS games, uh, you lose some of that in travel cost and, and all that. So, so it's very important to try to play those games as close to your campus as possible. Um, I do think the evolution of this is eventually going to turn the way where FCS will be shut out. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. And not just in football. I think there's a concern in basketball as well uh, that those you know, basketball is less, you know, uh, it's less important to play guarantee games, but they're, they're still there. Um, I think there's a real fear uh, below the Power Five level of what this is eventually going to mean uh, for uh, for the mid-majors. Uh, I think it's it, there's a real concern, and there's a, there's a sense of powerlessness, too, because they don't have a seat at the table. So it's going to be... They're just going to have to accept what happens. And uh, so, yeah, I think there's quite a bit of fear. Indiana State was smart to schedule this series and Indiana. They're basically alternating. Uh, they're playing Purdue in the even years, Indiana in the odd years. So they're they're good through 2027. But, um, but yeah, it would, be, it would be pretty damaging. And then the other things going on in college sports, uh, you know, make it a real challenge uh, from a budgetary standpoint to, to just keep going. Uh, you know, at the level that people are used to uh, Indiana State athletics being at. How big of a deal is NIL around the programs at Indiana State? I mean, yeah, there's no revenue stream to to help NIL at Indiana State. I mean, there's no Big Ten network money coming in to, uh, you know, help offset the costs of some of these things. Uh, You know, they've they've had to respond. I mean, Indiana state has started their own NIL collective, uh, but it's modest, you know, it's not anything like a big 10 one would be, uh, you know, they're going to have to, you know, it's, it's been a hurricane of change at the mid-major level that some of the things you can prepare for and some of them you can't, you know, the, the transfer portal 
frankly, I, I feel like that's been it's been absorbed in a way that, you know, the way I look at the transfer portal in all sports is that it's a market correction. So mid-majors will lose players that are marquee players. We had it with Jake LaRavia in basketball going to Wake Forest and then getting drafted in the first round of the NBA draft. Uh, but you get the, the talent coming down, too, to their proper level. So we've been able you know, mid-majors have been able to take advantage of players coming down, and that's true in football as well. Uh, but NIL is a different story. That's a revenue stream, and, you know, basically you're asking mid-majors with a limited uh, donor base, a very limited sponsor base. Very often mid-majors aren't in major cities, like Indiana State is not. Uh, you're asking a very limited revenue pool to suddenly, you know, almost double itself and that isn't going to happen out of the clear blue sky so it's an adjustment it's you have to get your donors and your fans used to the idea of nil and many of them are against it uh on its face and i'm sure that happens at the power five level too but you have a different you know you have a larger pool of fans to you know to where that's not as big of a deal so yeah it's it's a lot of change uh, in the last couple of years, and it's really buffeted the uh, Indiana states of the world pretty pretty roughly. All right, our guest today on the Boilers Extra podcast has been Todd Golden of the Terre Haute Tribune Star. Fine work he does covering the Sycamore. He's done it for nearly two decades, and uh, he's the go-to guy uh, for Indiana State. Uh, Todd, appreciate you jumping on. Uh, good health to you. You, you uh, seem to be on the road to recovery from your, your COVID episode. Hopefully uh, you're, uh, you're well enough to make the trip on Saturday to, to cover the Sycamores in Purdue at, uh, at ross Aid Stadium. I, I will see. I hate to miss my triple X burger. So <laughs> that, that's something I need to get, get in and, you know, get, get back. Uh, hopefully I can have. So but I appreciate you having me on and uh, uh, we'll see if I'm at Ross 8 on uh, Saturday. What well, is called DoorDash? Maybe Triple uh, X will deliver one uh, 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 a couple a, hours a away. Drive from uh, <laughs> West Lafayette down to Terre Haute, so I'm not going to hold my breath, but but uh, hopefully I'll be able to get up there. All right, thanks again, Todd. Appreciate it. Good health to you, and uh, appreciate your insight on the Sycamores. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Once again, thanks to Todd Golden of the Terre Haute Tribune Star for joining us to break down Indiana State, what we might expect on Saturday from the Sycamores uh, in the in, in the game at Ross Aid Stadium, kickoff at four o'clock, um, and we'll see uh, we'll see how Purdue responds. And I think that's probably the the biggest thing from a Purdue standpoint that uh, you need to look at, and um, you know, and how quickly they they can take care of business. Uh, you know, on paper, this should be similar to what happened when Purdue went to UConn last year, where they just get out to uh, a big lead, control the game, and and go from there. Uh, whether that's the case, who knows? Uh, could rain on Saturday, could affect the game. We've all seen strange things happen in football. And, you know, North Dakota and Nebraska were tied at 17 late in the third quarter last week. So it's not just a given. Purdue's going to have to come out focused and, and ready to go and um, you know, clean up their tackling and get rid of the penalties and uh, run the ball more efficiently um, in certain situations. Although I, I, I did think that they Purdue ran the ball respectively last week. Uh, when you take away the sacks, they averaged 4.1 yards per carry. 
uh, which I think is a positive for them. Uh, and they, you know, they were efficient in the red zone in the run game where both times, you know, when they got in there uh, and they ran the ball, they, they, they got touchdowns. Uh, they didn't have to wait to third down. So uh, that, that was a problem last year. It was even a problem in the, in the two scrimmages that Purdue had in, in fall camp where uh, Jeff Brom bemoaned the lack of efficiency in the red zone and being able to, to score points. So there were, you know, there were a lot of positives from Purdue's game, but, you know, obviously the overriding feeling is they lost the game, had a chance, you know, had a chance to, to win the game, put the game away. And they, they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't do that. Uh, so another week, another opportunity. And then after this week, of course, Purdue's going to, uh, be playing Syracuse, Florida Atlantic, uh, then back in the big 10 season. And, uh, they're going to play a lot of close games. I've said that before. I've written it. There's going to play a lot of close games. Uh, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, and, you know, Purdue's going to have to, you know, figure out a way to win those close games. And every team's different. You just can't – just because you did it last year doesn't mean you're going to do it this year. Uh, but I do think they have the pieces to get it to get it done. Uh, it's just a matter of better execution and uh, better decision-making as, uh, as you get deeper uh, into the game. Did want to touch on an email I received from Mike in uh, Westfield, Indiana. Uh, said, in the Penn State recap, you spoke about how maybe – in a couple days, uh, Brom may admit that he should have run the ball more late in the game. I'm not sure he he did that on Monday, um, but otherwise, while while I think this evaluation from him is positive, or reevaluation from him is a positive, would you agree that there also seems to be a pattern where he he will still do the same thing the next time and not change course based on his reflection? Well. I I don't think Jeff Brom is going to change. Um, Jeff Brom is a pass-first coach. Um, The program is pass-first, as it should be. It's centered around the quarterback. It's centered around receivers. That's who Purdue should be and will be. Um, But I I, I don't think Jeff Brom will change. Um, Because, you know, as I've mentioned, they have closed out games through the air before. They have, you know, the Illinois game. Uh, from a couple years ago at Illinois when they were stuck down near their goal line. After being in control of the game most of the way, they needed a third down pass to David Bell to to seal the game. And I, I, I just, I mean, I think Jeff Brown's going to continue to take that approach. Uh, now, he may sprinkle in more runs depending on the situation, depending on the opponent. A uh, lot, of, lot of things will go into it. <clears throat> you know, who you're playing. You know, Penn State's, very good defense, very good defensive front, uh, very good secondary. Uh, but, you know, they're going to have to make plays, whether it's on the ground or in the air, once you get into the rest of the schedule after the, after this week, assuming that they, they take care of business um, uh, against Indiana State, that you don't need to be in a fourth-quarter situation against Indiana State to close out the game. But I, I don't think he'll really change. Uh, now, and he's he, he completely not going to do the opposite. He's not going to run it 13 straight times. Uh, but I, I don't see a big change from Jeff Brom. And he's an aggressive coach. He wants to play aggressively. And that has helped Purdue probably more often than not during his tenure. So he, he's going to stick 
with what he knows and what he what he what he's going to do. Now, can you come up with different ways in the passing game to get your ball get get the ball to the receivers who struggled in separation against Penn State? But can you come up with different ways? Are there different play calls uh, that you can that you can use to maybe stay in bounds, keep the clock going, force Penn State to use their timeouts? You know. Act, you know, the short passing game acts like a running game. Are there other avenues to go? And I think that's probably more what you'll see as opposed just not to throwing at all. I mean, if Purdue is faced with the same exact situation at Syracuse or against Florida Atlantic or at Minnesota in the, in the next few games after we get past Indiana State, is Jeff Brom going to throw on 13 of 14 plays in the fourth quarter? Probably not. But it's not going to flip. It's not going to. He's not going to run the ball thirteen or fourteen plays. But I would look for different plays. Try to look for different matchups. Maybe some misdirection. Maybe a not an all-out trick play, but something that forces the defense to go one way while you want to go the other way. Look for rub routes. They're very good at rub routes. They're very good at getting guys on crossing routes and just doing enough to get into the defender's way to free the receiver up enough to make a play without committing pass interference. So there's other there's other things that they can do, I think, in those situations. Um, if you're going to throw the ball, uh, that I think puts the offense in a much better position. Saying all that, they were they were two plays away from getting the, the first down that would have sealed the game. The Payne Durham catch that was ruled a catch, but then not a catch, and then uh, the, the pass to Sheffield on third down that was a little bit off the mark from O'Connell. You make one either one of those two plays, and you know we're not having this discussion uh, about Purdue, but it does shine a light on how you close out a game. Um, and I, I know there are staunch people out there that will beat the drum that you have to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Well, that's not who Purdue is. That's not who Purdue's going to be. So um, they have to figure out a different way to do it. And as I've said, that I, I don't firmly believe Jeff Brom trusts his running game to the point where he feels like they can go out and and beat a team like Penn State uh, by running the ball late uh, to, to get the, the crucial first down that you need. He needs to have a higher level of trust in that. You have an experienced offensive line. King Daru was running well. Um, he probably needed a few more opportunities in that situation as you look back on it. But to to Mike's email, I, I just I, I don't believe that Jeff Brom is going to change very much the next time Purdue is in that situation. They just they need better execution. They need maybe a variety, in a different line of play calling. Um, figure out a way to. I mean, you at Purdue at times you have to trick people. I mean, you're just not going to line up and run over people at Purdue. It's just not. It's just not who the program is especially at the Big Ten level. So you're going to have to uh, have some trickeration there. You have to do something out of the ordinary that they're not expecting and and go from there. It's a learning experience for everybody. It happened in game one, and the next time they're in that situation, which I'm pretty confident they will be, we'll see what they learned from um, that, that Penn State situation. So appreciate the email. Uh, feel free to email anytime. Uh, we'll try to get your your question or your comments 
uh, on on the podcast. As far as Saturday's game and what really what to watch for, you know, does Purdue come out and take care of business early? Do they they get a good mix of the run and the pass? Uh, do they have enough team speed uh, to 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 get by Indiana State and the defensive line, which I thought played pretty well, even though they didn't get the numbers that everybody wants them to get. I mean, I thought the rotation was good. Uh, can can the defensive line wear down Indiana State's offensive line? Can Purdue force some turnovers? Can they clean up the penalties? Can they clean up the missed tackles? So there's a lot there's a lot of things to look at. And, you know, this is a game Purdue needs to come out and, you know, take control early and then and then dominate the rest of the way and then move on to the next week at, at, at Syracuse. So uh, hopefully it's a game where a lot of players see action, uh, where they can get a taste of it because you, you never know who you're going to need uh, as this season goes on because of injuries and, and other factors. You know, Nick Carraway, the, the defensive end that, you know, we're all talking about a little bit. Um, this could be a good good game for him uh, to, to overwhelm some of the offensive linemen there and really give a boost to his confidence uh, because I, I think Nick Carraway is a guy that Purdue's going to need at some point this season to help with the pass rush. And, you know, he's still learning what to do and how to do it. But, uh, you know, his athleticism and his his pure strength is, I think, somebody Purdue's going to need as we uh, as we march through this uh, season. There's going to be other players like that uh, as well. Sanusi Kane, I thought, had a good, good game on special teams uh, against Penn State. He's a guy that, you know, that Purdue needs in the secondary because they're just not very deep. And there's other guys up there that... Uh, they're going to have to uh, to step up and play. So hopefully, a lot of those guys get some experience on Saturday because they're going to be needed as uh, as this season goes on. Well, uh, once again, thanks to Todd Golden of the Terre Haute Tribune Star. Good breakdown on Indiana State. Um, and then uh, we'll be back after the game on Saturday to to recap uh, what we saw and then what's next for the Boilermakers uh, after after this week's after this week. So uh, once again, thanks for stopping by and have a good day.